0: This is the podcast for you. Hello, I am Deb Coviello, founder of the Drop-In CEO brand, and I am so thankful you've joined us for another episode of the podcast where week after week, I get to find and speak to amazing leaders who share their career journey insights and hopefully inspire you. And as you all know, if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and please tell others so that others can benefit from this valuable resource. And just know, and you know I say this all the time, I am here for the C-suite leader of today and tomorrow to navigate their challenges with confidence. And it is with that I am so honored to bring to you my fantastic guest, Claire Milligan, where she has helped businesses transform their cloud spending or hitting the slopes as a ski patroller. Claire Milligan thrives on distilling complex problems down to their core issues and turning these pragmatic findings into groundbreaking solutions. And through a journey spanning marketing, UX, and leadership roles at tech companies like Tally and Spring Ahead, she's meticulously constructed a diverse skill set built upon hands-on experience and unrelenting thirst for knowledge. And Now, as the CEO of startup Aimably, she's applying her unique superpowers to help businesses grow by spending smarter and dramatically reducing their cloud costs. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for dropping in. Thanks, Deb. I'm so pleased to be here. And I am as well. So, I was introduced to Claire by some amazing people whose insights about the tech industry and how to have a different mindset, how to approach problems differently. And sometimes what is an area that people just don't understand. So, I am very, very interested in learning how she got to this place of being a leader, challenging the status quo, getting us to think differently. And we are going to glean so many insights from this conversation. But, Claire, again, I would love for you to share a bit about yourself personally as well as the journey you have been on to do this purposeful work that you're doing now. Thanks.
1: I started out in software kind of by accident. I graduated from college and didn't know what to do next and found this company that was an educational software startup and thought, oh, I'll try that. And quickly realized I loved the design of it. Went to design school after college and thought, This is a new direction I hadn't necessarily thought of, but really loved it. And I got hired at a design firm and quickly then got hired by one of our clients. I had this perspective on career growth where I wasn't trying to really push myself to what could be the next on the ladder. I more wanted to follow in the direction of what captivated my interest. I tend to be all in when it's in my interest area. At that client, I started as lead product designer and we got acquired by a private equity firm and we got merged in with a whole bunch of other competitors. We grew to be a very large business. The business continues today. It's called Emberse. And by the time I left, I was the general manager of the product lines I was originally hired as as a designer. In order to get there, I basically grabbed as much knowledge as I possibly could whenever it was offered or whenever I was going to go out and find it. And I was also lucky to participate in a management program. But the reason why I came to where I am now is because once I reached this management status and I was essentially the CEO of the business that had hired me, I realized in my job, I was responsible for transforming what had been a growth business into what needed to be a cash cow. And the cash cow was going to fund the growth of other businesses, other lines of business within this greater firm. And so to do that we had to completely change around our our income and our our expense. And I went into everything in detail. And when when you're doing this, you're looking at office space and you're looking at people and you're looking at software costs and all these things. And I realized there was this huge line that was cloud costs and I didn't know what to do with it. And so given my whole approach of saying like, look, I'm going to learn a new thing. I'm going to join a new industry. I'm going to go a new place. I'm going to take a new responsibility. I thought I'm going to figure this out. And uh, I I worked with My my former engineering lead from early on, and we started a new business to really get into there, understand why it's there, why it's so much, and what companies can do to fix it. Because in this economy, everybody's changing their business structure.
0: That's fascinating. And this is stuff that I just don't know about that is why you are so interesting. We've got to bring things forward. Again, we do talk about leadership, challenges, opportunities, how we help each other to elevate businesses and owners, but also I get to learn about something new. So let me just go there a little bit. You talk about cloud costs. Again, it's Greek to me. I understand it. It's necessary. (laughs) But maybe without divulging your approach, what is it about cloud costs that could be so expensive. And then like, how do you work with businesses to evaluate options in order to reduce them? Think
1: about if you have software, let's start there. If you have software, almost every business does from, you know, General Motors down to a much smaller startup. Most modern companies now are operating on their own software. So that has to be hosted somewhere. So in walks, Amazon Web Services, Google Cloud Platform, and Microsoft Azure, they're the main three suppliers of cloud hosting. What they offer is something that's incredibly unique to the industry now, and that is you can rent space, rent space and rent capability. And so you don't have to go and buy a server. You don't have to go to a data center. You can just say, click, click, click. And now I have my software running that's accessible in a browser anywhere in the world. When you rent it, it becomes essentially a utility. So don't think about like, I'm buying a house, I'm renting a house. Or think about it now in terms of metering, like the water bill. That's how all of these cloud systems work. So if you leave the water running and you didn't need it, you're still getting billed for it. And this is where we come in because there's a lot of distinction between what do we need and what are we paying for. It gets even deeper when you think about how engineering teams are trained and incentivized. And that comes into uptime and performance and then the ability for it to grow. And all of those things are all tied into, let's spend a little bit more. Let's give ourselves a little buffer. Let's make sure that it doesn't fail, which is very important. But at the same time, there's a whole lot of extra spend in there that is essentially leaving the water on. And so it's super important for all the business leaders and not just the technology team to be aware of how it breaks up and why and what is getting spent where. So what do we do? We go in and we analyze how it's being used, what's unnecessary, what can be priced differently, what can be reconfigured so that you get the exact same performance without leaving the water on.
0: This is so amazing. And I'm almost thinking like, shouldn't everybody be doing this? Shouldn't there be other aimably companies doing this? Because nobody wants to leave the water on. You never know. You might get a flooded basement at some point. Then it's damage and it hurts the bottom line. You know. I'm just so fascinated. I mean, what you talk about is stuff that like a CFO would be concerned about. But you came up from the technical ranks. How did you get this business acumen to tie the technical people, geeks, knowledge workers, (laughs) and respectful people? Because I work with a lot of really smart people to then be able to speak the language and work with the CFOs. I'm just curious how you did that because there's a lot of tech people out there that stay in those silos and are unable to influence business decisions because they can't speak the language of finance. So I'm just curious about how you ascended into being able to speak on both sides.
1: That's a great question. Part of it is just pure nerdery and the desire to (laughs) learn more. I am a nerd, tried and true. However, on the other side I come from a very odd family where my parents were introduced by their parents who served on the California Bankers Association together. Truly odd. So thinking about my life growing up, like we're sitting at the dinner table and we're discussing like human resources issues. We're talking about whether or not a loan is good and the impact of the small business on my dad's side of the family on the actual community that we lived in and how it was crops and farms, all these kind of interrelated things. And so when I think about how a business works, or even if I was thinking about how a piece of software was designed, I was thinking, who's using this and why? And where are they sitting in their office? And how does that affect whether or not they can get their job done? For some reason, I'm just programmed like that. And I think it has a lot to do with how I grew up. But it meant that any question that comes to me from the perspective of, Actually, let me take a step back. The company I was with before was Expense Report Software. So you think about Expense Report Software, you're like, well, it ties into finance, right? So in order to build the right way for these to integrate with accounting programs, I decided I'm going to pick up a book. It's going to be Accounting for Dummies and we're going to figure this out. So I got in there and now, and now I understood accounting so that I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, then I can take on the P&L. I can figure this out. So essentially, whether it was childhood or now, very open mind and willingness to say, I can figure it out.
0: And I did too, because I work in operations and quality and I did not understand the P&L. So I did think along the way, I took an accounting for dummies. And while I still don't know all the things, I can kind of look at it and say, okay, this is where we need to shore things up from an operational perspective and building brand trust to get that top line growth. And how can I reduce expenses through Lean and Six Sigma methodology such that our EBITDA gets <laughs> and our I love expense- this yeah I know so I had to try to add a survival and I would express to people listening out there if you are a technical leader you might need to pick up a book for Accounting for Dummies not to insult your intellect but you do need to know a few words here and there in order to be able to influence decision makers which are also your CFOs and your financial people so really really cool I'd love to know about the name of your company Aimably how did you come up with that what does it mean
1: I love it. I'm a nerd about that one too. It's got two meanings behind it. One is we're aiming together for success because all units have to be aligned and focused on one goal for a business to transform. The other is we got to get along while we do it. There's no point steamrolling over other people. So we need to be amiable in order to get there.
0: And that's really good. I mean, so often when we bring in facilitators, consultants, experts into a company, for some people, people put up their guard. They say, oh, here's the consultant. Well, let them do their thing, but we're just going to do business as usual. Some people are threatened or, well, here we go again, another flavor of the day, another cost-cutting measure. And it is important to understand the full business context, the history of the people, the talents of the people, because when we want to make a cost savings improvement, we have to understand, help people to understand how it is beneficial for the sustainability of the business, the livelihoods of people. So I love (laughs) Aimably, what a great name. Thanks. What about you? Challenges starting up a company. I don't even know how long you've been in your company. How long have you been in business? And I'd love to know a little bit about any business challenges that you've had along the way for yourself.
1: Yeah, we, we incorporated in early 2021. And one of the things I learned when we locked down for COVID, and I was at the time in San Francisco, which took COVID lockdown very seriously, I realized that I do not work well when I buy myself. And so that has really fed into this whole process of discovery of whether or not I wanted to continue where I was or where I wanted to take that next step in business. And so in 2021, my previous, I, I call ourselves Batman and Robin, my co-founder and I, and depending on the day, one of us is Batman and one of us is Robin. He's um, the technical genius behind everything that we do. And we decided that we, ne- we were going to go on this together. And what's been fascinating is that I call myself an accidental entrepreneur because I didn't say, I'm going to start a business and now I have to figure out which business it is. It was more like, I have this problem and I need somebody to solve this for me, right? And so I now listen to entrepreneurial podcasts and many things and they say like, you know, being an entrepreneur is a little masochistic and they are right. There's ups, there's downs, there's waves. We started with an idea that we were going to be completely software. Now it's much more software enabled services because of that kind of amiable nature that we need to kind of assist and and facilitate and bring about. So it's been an incredible roller coaster, but every day, I will promise you every day is a happy one. And I feel very like independent and focused on the future. And it's just really super energizing
0: for me. So you are speaking to my heart as well, because while it is tough and trying to find the people I can serve and reaching out to them I am happy every day that I am able to be in pursuit of those people and then ultimately to serve. And I will also say in the beginning, when I was trying to figure out what what am I gonna do with all this technical knowledge and leadership skills that I have, I was listening to a podcast by Jeffrey Shaw, Creative Warriors, and it was all about entrepreneurs or peoples that started and they had the fortitude and the belief that they could do something on their own. And it was, that was just the one thing that kind of pushed me over to say, well, I got that, I got that, I get that. I can do this. And once you believe in yourself, whether it is in the pursuit of an entrepreneurial venture or it's that next level, or I'm moving to a completely different vertical or industry, it's just believing in yourself. I've been successful before. Why not now again? So love that. Love that. I'm in the same place. So I just love to ask you a question because this may resonate with business leaders out there that are maybe listening, but you often see an opportunity in how expenses are incurred on the technology side. So if somebody was out there right now, talk to them a little bit about what they should maybe be looking for or thinking about or who to partner with such that they have a better understanding about how these expenses are incurring far beyond just the cloud. Maybe, you know, give them some other things that they can go look at right now. Absolutely. I think the most important thing is to think
1: about this in the format of what is the business purpose of all the things that we're doing? There's an incredible amount of knowledge sitting in the leadership on the technical side because due to the way that engineering works, a CTO will be able to speak to you about that server, that environment, that software subscription on, on a really detailed basis. And so to sit down and say, I want to work with you to help you get the right focus in the right place. Let's talk about everything that you oversee and its business purpose, because here's where it gets really interesting. Business purpose means accounting, right? So you're going to go back and say, this is the expense for research and development. This is the expense for sales and marketing. This is the expense to cost of goods sold, for instance, if we want to get super accounting nerdy. And then you can start saying, as a CEO, COO, CFO, what does our business look like in two or three years? As we then ask the questions of the technical team, where do you foresee opportunities in business purpose? And then you can really like, you, you, th- at that point, business purpose becomes the uniting front for saying, what
0: can our company become? I love that because that is how we move people forward. If you can paint a picture of the future, and we all agree we're going in that direction. It starts from a place of possibilities and then you back engineer in then, well, then what are the pillars or the things that we need to do on the technical side? risks, opportunities, and then the financial advisor becomes an enabler for options in order to go. Because if you start here, where we are today, sometimes the financial people without understanding where we're going are the no police. Nope, can't do that. Nope, can't do that. And we want to be able to move people way past that. This is where we're going. So I love your approach. Love it. I wanted to take a moment to remind you that a recent study showed nearly 60% of leaders feel depleted. At the end of the day. And this feeling is a key indicator of burnout and makes it difficult to lead and inspire others. If you've ever experienced that restless exhaustion, you know why CEOs are amongst the most likely candidates for experiencing job frustration. I wrote The CEO's Compass, your guide to get back on track, to confront those feelings and create a plan that is sustainable for you and your organization. I created a seven-point assessment that will help you figure out your problems in days, not months. And it includes so many resources, worksheets, videos, and much, much more. If this is you, please head over to my website, dropinceo.com, and click on my products, the CEO's Compass, and order yours on Amazon or other outlets. And now, back to the conversation. I'd love an example of, I know you're in business maybe only a couple, three years now, but I would love how you have partnered with businesses in, and, and understand where were they at when they showed up at your doorstep and what was the result of your time with them? What was the impact? I'd love to know a little bit more. Given our experience and the
1: fact that we both work together under private equity ownership and the challenge that I personally felt, we've developed quite a specialty in working with private equity ourselves. So that means that there's a need. When a private equity firm buys a business, it's a lot less than your standard venture capital. And sometimes people aren't necessarily familiar with that. Venture capital is like, you have this vision, you want to go somewhere and you need some cash to get there. We'll give you some cash. We'll take some ownership in the business in exchange and you go ahead and keep building. It's usually because of an assumption that the company isn't making any money or it's not making enough to sustain that growth private equity is about liquidity. So the private equity firm has to have a vision for this company to continue to grow. But the purpose of taking that funding is to give a return back to early investors as well, and perhaps even the founder. So then the private equity firm more owns you rather than in just investing in one initiative or future growth. And their job is to gain enterprise value out of your company by different strategies. A strategy might be a growth strategy. A strategy might be a cost-saving strategy. It might involve taking on debt. There's a whole lot of financial strategies they're gonna model. And so when private equity comes in, one of the things, they first thing they do is they build what they call an operating model. And that takes your budget. And then they turn it around and they say, if we restructured this, like if we took this business line, like the one I was in charge of and said, you're gonna be the cash cow now, we're gonna cut all this expense, we're gonna put the revenue in, And the model is this kind of fantastical, if we did everything correctly, vision of what the company can be. Once they are happy with that operating model, they'll then make an offer to to buy that business and say, we really think that we can turn this around in the ways that will create value. So what happens then is that sometimes it's hard to actually turn around these businesses. And that's the job while private equity will hold a business will own a business to actually execute and get as close to that operating model as possible. So that's where we come in. The technology folks will reach out to us and say, we really need expense saved over here. We come in and work with these companies and say, don't worry, we're not going to kill you. We're not trying to take everything away. Let's work together. Let's build a plan. We'll get to where we want to go. So our specialty is there in private equity and being brought into portfolio companies. When it comes to what we offer and our results, Depends on the engagement, but sometimes we engage all the way through to them implementing all the suggestions we make. Sometimes we just give them a worksheet of here's what you work through and all the details. But we find that companies that are managing their cloud spend well and are paying attention to it, really focused on it, but may not have the full vision of all the options, we usually find them about 20% of savings on their cloud spend. When it comes to a company that's more in general, following general practices, we usually find them about 50%. And what does that mean? Well, for a technology business, cloud spend is the second largest cost to personnel. So this is really meaningful. We recently worked on a company that was taken private from the
0: NASDAQ by a PE firm, and we found them nearly $15 million in annual savings. This is an amazing, amazing story. And are there more businesses like you? Yeah, there actually are. Well, there's one company that's really the leader
1: in thinking about cloud costs from a technical perspective. They're fantastic. The company is called the Duckbill Group. It's led by Corey Quinn and Mike Julian, and they're just wizards from the technical side. We feel like we're a little bit different because we do it from a financial side and bring the two together. But there's so much business out there. There's plenty for all of us. There's also software solutions if you want to take it on on your own. There's one called CloudFix, which gives you some automated recommendations. There's one called CloudZero that does cost-by-customer analysis. There's all kinds of cool stuff out there. But yeah, there's, there's so much that can be done that there's definitely options for the consumer to look into.
0: What I really like about what you said is like me, you know, one could say I'm a consultant, I'm a business advisor, I'm a fractional leader. I tend to brand myself as the drop-in CEO to differentiate myself a little bit because of my approach that could be different. But I also don't worry about interviewing people that do the same thing as me because there's so many businesses out there that we can serve and sometimes just comes down to trust and do I want to work with you? So at the end of the day, you can collaborate or provide, you can go to the big boys, you can go to the do-it-yourself software solution or you get somebody that can guide you during the process and become a partner for the long haul. I really love that. And the other thing that I love the fact that you and I have met is because I've had questions about private equity because I know, I know my services as well, potentially once you kind of shore up and get the finances in order, maybe get the heavy hitters and maybe you need to increase pipeline. So often they will work on opening up the pipeline, getting a fractional CRO, CSO, etc, but then sometimes the delivery process, whether it's a transactional or a physical product that they're producing, don't always invest in the operations, and so that's where I come in, because I've got that quality and OpEx background to also assess the landscape where do we have quality, inefficiency, lack of standards, cross-training, redundancy, all of that that then builds a robust model of crossing. So I am glad that I have gotten to know you a little bit because I also have been trying to find people in that space because I know often they'll have their own leaders. They like to drop in, but I can also be a service as well. So (laughs) really, really good. I'm glad I know you here.
1: Yeah. And also actually to add on to that, depends on the firm. Some firms have their own leaders and some don't. And really the way that they make money is on the growth of the companies, but at the same time, if they have their own leaders, they actually have to charge the companies kind of a consulting rate, and that can detract from the company's ability to grow. So there are strategies to say, hey, we want our own people, and there are definitely strategies to, to partner with, with folks in your position, for sure.
0: And what I remember about that was I worked for a startup optical networking company in the early 2000s, <laughs> and I remember that, you know, we were growing, I was employee number 60, but we had some challenges. And I do remember that we were owned, that we were trying to get around to funding and they would drop in a leader to help us get through some particular challenge. And once we got to that point, then they would pull them out and they brought in another leadership team. And that's what then brought the company IPO. And it's just interesting to say that sometimes CEOs or senior leaders are in an organization for a short amount of time. And that's not a bad thing, but we serve a purpose at that juncture, whether it's the technical knowledge, financial savings, or leadership, or growth, or even you know messaging out in the community and going IPO. Leaders are valuable for any duration of time because of the skill set that we bring in. But you are such an interesting person, and I would love to bring out some other thought leadership things that you really talk about. One of the things that you like to talk about is leveraging unconventional traits for exceptional results. And I think there's something probably really, really important in there that'll inspire our audience. So please share a little bit more about your thoughts in that area. Yeah, actually it it really ties
1: back to my discovery that the COVID lockdown was really hard for me. It uncovered the superpower I didn't really understand, which was that I, I have ADHD and most women don't know that they have it if they have it because it doesn't present like a hyperactive
0: kid in the school. How does it present? Maybe I've got it because I'm all <laughs> over
1: the place sometimes. No,
0: sh- no. Let's go there first. No, there's
1: there's <laughs> a total there's a total checklist. I don't have it off the top of my head, but here's what I'll tell you how it presents in me. I have an incredible ability to focus for incredible amounts of time on something that gives me rewards. Like because at the base of this, it's a dopamine issue with ADHD where you consume dopamine rapidly. You like clear it out and consume it. So you don't get overwhelmed on something that's deep that easily because your brain is cleaning it out. But at the same time, if you're not getting it, all bets are off. So if you're doing menial work that you don't care about, oh my word, it can be very challenging to get through it. And so for somebody who has the capability to spend infinite resources on something that really matters, to then watch themselves start to pull back, especially when not surrounded by the other kind of scaffolding that gives me the ability to motivate like the presence of other people and a like well-structured schedule and all those other things that you think about, about providing for ADHDers, you start to realize that, wait a second, is there something terribly wrong with me? Because I think I'm capable. I think I'm capable. I can do anything. But wait a second, why is it that I can't sit down and read this training manual or, or something like that? what I've understood now is that it's all about finding the dopamine to drive you in the right direction. And so that might be like music or structure or people or, you know, there's all kinds of scaffolding on that that you can build. But the other side being, this is actually a key to telling me what is the prioritization here. My passion is building this business and my passion is serving our customers and that's going to drive me. So if I'm sitting here going, oh, I really don't want to do insert thing here, maybe that's an indication that it shouldn't be something that I am doing. And maybe I need to solve that a different way.
0: That's such great insight for anybody, regardless of a diagnosis of something that is a superpower or in some cases a detriment. We need to pursue what we are passionate about and we are really good at and get into flow. And yes, sometimes as part of our roles in business. Yes, we have to do the mundane. But when we think about the needle movers and we're most passionate about, might we find creative solutions to delegate, find other people that get jazzed about the monotony or the administrative work so that we can be liberated to be able to do what we're best at. ADHD or not, that's something we should all be in pursuit of. That's definitely been a great coping mechanism as well. So where are you taking this business? You're in business for two years. If you had to think about two, three years, five years down the road, what do you see as the impact of the work that you're doing now? The work that we're doing now
1: is very appropriate for the economic times that we're in. But what we see as the main challenge is that in technology-powered businesses, financial decisions and technology decisions are deeply intertwined in a way they haven't been in other areas, in other industries. And as a result, there's so many financial questions that sit in the technical teams and we're attempting to solve for that. We're thinking about how budgets are built. We're thinking about how performance is evaluated. We're thinking about how to create accountability across teams and more than anything, given our background in building products, we're thinking about how do we make these solutions fit in with the initiatives that are going to be there no matter what. So that's our vision for the business. And when it comes to actually operating the business, given our, our background in the investors and working and working inside that, our, our theory is that we've got to prove it to ourselves each step of the way and make sure that we're delivering the value and we're working with the customers and they're coming to us and we're continuing to build a flywheel based on that. And each time we come to a point where we need a next step, that's when we're thinking about investment. And I think that that's a very different perspective than has been historically in technology startups where it's just like, give me as much money as I can and I'll hire a bunch of people and let's hope that we had a great idea. And we're trying to prove as we go a little bit more.
0: But I'm almost thinking about what you're doing is obviously it's the technical horsepower of both yourself and and your business partner helping individual companies one by one. But when we think about scalability, how do you distill what you're doing in such a way that you can amplify what you're doing, whether it's creating financial and business acumen within the technology sector? Is there any way you could scale this such that technology geeks, (laughs) leaders become very savvy in financial conversations? Is that something that's on the horizon as well?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we think about it in two ways. We think about it as education, which we kind of do hand in hand with service delivery right now, but we do think is a different line of business ultimately. And then we also think about empowerment, the ability to do it on your own. We hope to not have to be there uh, necessarily always in the future, but that the value that we create can continue on and to be far more meaningful than just some default configurations and you know, typical approaches to software. But also when it comes to scale, I think that the important thing to remember is that cutting costs is just one very small part of the question. And that's the part that's really challenging to scale, but can also deliver a ton of value in this current economy. And as we think about and we think forward to how the economy will evolve in the next five or 10 years, that's really going to be one where I believe is going to return to growth. And we're going to be thinking a lot more about planning and strategy and uniting technology and finance as business partners in that
0: direction. You have such great talking points. I have never interviewed somebody that is just, their talking points and their messaging is just so strong from a technology and a financial perspective. I have interviewed people that are fractional CFOs and they've got the financial acumen down to a pet. but I've never heard somebody talk across <laughs> across the aisle Thank and you. back and forth. It's really Really amazing. Now, I think you're quite inspirational when it comes to this other perspective, when you talk about aligning ambitions with authenticity, because so often in our career, we do what's expected, we hone our technical craft, and along the way, we sometimes lose our own persona for fear of showing it, but that's what differentiates us, and I really would love your perspective on this, because I, too, conformed. I became what was expected as a professional but then I lost myself and now I am liberated to be myself and still practice my craft. So what are your thoughts in that area? Well, first of all, I'm so happy for you. I'm glad that that's been your own path.
1: I had this discovery when we merged with a company that was located in Maine and I had been in San Francisco working for a company that was based in San Francisco. And I am a gay woman. And to me, that was just so normal and not even a thing to worry about. (laughs) And I realized that I was actually like such a (laughs) weirdo to other people. And I realized that that was this opportunity to liberate myself because I didn't have to conform to what people would expect because they already thought that I was a nonconformist. And so I was like, okay, cool this is an opportunity to step even farther and to go to where I think that I want to be. And to me, again, going back to this, I am a nerd concept, I felt like the way I would be different is that I would focus on bringing information to the hands of everyone who impacted that information. And so often, I, you know, I do whiteboard sessions across the business, across the, I would fly to different offices and just say like, here's how finances work why are we talking to you, chief product officer, about that? Oh, well, because I felt like you should know. There would be different processes where I would bring in education as much as I possibly could because then decisions could be made that were good decisions. And I brought that even farther through when, as we were planning financial transformation, we unfortunately, when we merged with another company, had to do a layoff that was really before layoffs were happening, you know, because we were on this mission to transform our business somewhat aggressive way. And the team that I had worked with for years, I came to the realization that I was going to have to lay off a significant number of them. And that actually includes my current business partner. So I thought to myself, oh my lord, I definitely went out and had a cry in the San Francisco rain. And then I thought, how do I do this as authentically as I can, given that this is a terrible situation? And we sat down together and we discussed, here are the finances, here are where we are, here is where we need to be. I am open to any solutions to this, but this is what it looks like to me, help me find other ones. We thought about it, we worked through it, there really wasn't. And then it was, okay, so we're looking forward to this date, and this is something that we need to think about. Who wants to stay? After this, who wants to be in the business after this occurs, when a lot of us are gone? Basically, we went through and we said, hands raised of who wants out and who doesn't. And in the end, I only had to break one person's heart who really did want to stay. And I had to let him go as well. And when it came to the day that we were letting people go, one by one, we came through, I laid everybody off and we all had champagne at the end. I have thanked them for everything that we had done and, and we went our separate ways. And I can't say that I'm a perfect person for this. I do not like taking people's jobs away. But I think that the more you give people in terms of information of what's ahead, the more that they can understand why you're making those decisions and come up with decisions that are appropriate for themselves.
0: It's so powerful because that can be, regardless of your demographic, when you come in as an educator first versus rolling up your sleeves and this is what we're going to do, it does give people an opportunity to build trust and it also shows that you respect them because you're trying to educate them about what's going on. And to your point, you are helping them through a change to get to a greater cause. At the end of the day, I'm sure these people respect you and perhaps some of them, some of them remain in touch with you, but that's what they remember. Well, one of them started a business with me, so that's good. (laughs) And there you go, because you never know where we're going to cross paths again. And I know I was part of a downsizing of a company and we did everything we could to give the people what they needed in order to stay and sustain the business to the end so that our customers did not feel the negative impact and disruption of service or quality. And most everybody did stay and we treated them with respect going out the door. And I would say it was probably the best plant closure I've ever experienced. And I've stayed in touch with some of the people. It doesn't feel good, but if you treat people with respect, that short-term pain is just that. They'll remember you. It's all about the golden rule, right? Don't treat anybody the way you wouldn't want to be treated. I have so enjoyed getting to know you you personally, and the work that you've done to impact businesses. So I do ask anybody out there, if you are part of private equity or know anybody that are having challenges trying to help businesses be more profitable, financially sound, et cetera, and especially the technology sector, I would love everybody to look up Claire Milligan, reach out to her and learn more about her work. But I would love to give you the floor one last time to speak to my audience and share any last thoughts. Sure. And I just want to say it's been great getting to know you as well. you can
1: find me at Claire C L A I R E at And sometimes the A is in the wrong place when people spell it. So I'm just gonna spell it out. It's A-I-M-A-B-L-Y dot com. But I want everybody to know that when something seems like Greek or just something you shouldn't pay attention to, that's an opportunity. You know, you can go in and learn more about it. And I I encourage anybody to Gain that confidence and and try it out. And you'll be really
0: surprised where that takes you. You might create your own company. I can't top that. And Claire, I just want to, first of all, wish you well and continue success with your business, your reach, your growth on future podcasts because you do, do speak quite well. And I'm grateful that you've been here talking to my audience. So with that, I just want to say thank you for dropping in on the podcast and we will stay in touch with you. But I want to wish you well and much success. Have a great day, Deb. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I hope you are inspired by our conversation and can apply what you heard to your business or career goals. If you found this valuable, please share this show with at least one friend who will find it useful and inspiring. When you share this podcast, it allows me to continue to help C-suite leaders of today and tomorrow to navigate their challenges with confidence. To connect with me or learn more about the Drop-In CEO services, go to my website at dropinceo.com. And until we meet, I wish you well and much success.